Welcome to The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis. I am your host, Cicely Davis. Welcome back. Welcome back to The Savage Truth. I am your excited host, Cicely Davis. Thank you for joining me. So happy to be with you once again. You know, America is great. Our systems are great. Our history, our heroes, our people, our land is great. And I am happy and grateful to be born in this great land, this U.S. of A. Undoubtedly, you've read the title of the episode today, but there's lots and lots to talk about. So let's just get to it. Please like, subscribe, share, and leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And thank you for your viewership. We actually had someone from Australia tuning in last week, I noticed. So it's a pleasure. It's truly a pleasure. And I'm truly humbled and grateful to have such a reach. Okay. So last week, I was able to put out two episodes. Really grateful for that. And a lot has happened since then. Many of us, of course, watched last week the town halls of Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and former President Donald Trump debates last week, battling for that second place trophy. DeSantis and Haley, by the way. Chris Christie, woohoo, dropped out of the race, hence you seeing the fireworks behind me. Chris Christie dropped out of the race prior to the Iowa caucus, and Vivek Ramaswamy, Though a valiant effort suspended his campaign, pulling in less than 8% of the vote, but quickly hopped on the Trump train with a VIP seat, endorsing him and asking his supporters to forward their bid and loyalty towards the former president. And to repeat the title of this episode, I think it's necessary to repeat that indeed, Donald J. Trump is, without a doubt, the presumptive Republican nominee. Yes. It's early, only days after the Iowa caucuses, but we must face some facts, folks. We just have to get savagely truthful about that. Donald J. Trump is so far out ahead of his opponents that there is truly no plausible way for them to win. Now, this is not to make anyone angry or to squirm, as I am well aware, I assure you, I am well aware that there are many of you viewers who were and still are fans and rooting for Haley and DeSantis. I fully understand that. Yes, New Hampshire is still at play with Haley being favored to win big. Yes, DeSantis made a smart play after Iowa, heading straight to South Carolina after his silver medal win in Iowa. But the lead that Donald J. Trump has is so far leading that it's difficult to see a path to victory for the Republican nomination for Haley and DeSantis and on that ticket. As you know, Donald Trump broke 50% with 51% winning 98 out of 99 counties, winning more votes than Ramaswamy, Haley, and DeSantis combined. None of the other candidates were able to break that 22% line of the vote. That is a more than significant leap for Trump in his primary. The call was made early with precise and correct predictions and half an hour into the Iowa caucuses that Trump was the declared presumptive and projected winner. And that storyline only proved exact as the night continued and more of the county counts totaled in. I think I just made up a word. Is total the word? 
Anyhow, you understand me. This ruffled some feathers, of course, and some of the caucus speeches were still going on and needed to be pitched, meaning as the voters continued to show at their precincts, the candidate surrogates were making their last-ditch efforts to pull in those undecided and possible switch votes. But the entry polls were so heavily favored for Trump that there was simply no plausible challenger. There's been talk from the Haley and DeSantis camp that those early predictions and announcements on all the news outlets could have influenced a vote, and that as people were still waiting to hear from candidates and their surrogates, they were seeing and hearing from their phones and other outlets that the declaration of Trump's victory was inevitable. And the talk was then that that had a deciding factor for those voters, thinking, oh, I might as well just vote for the winner since it's already been declared. Now, the voting started at 7 p.m., especially for those of us viewers at home, and by 7.33, half an hour into that, that declaration was made by all the news outlets. Other candidates were calling foul, not that they would have won the night, but claiming that this may have shifted the margins of that victory. Would this have changed the trajectory of the contest? Seriously, I doubt it. Donald Trump at 51%, DeSantis standing on that second highest podium with 21%, and Haley at 19%. It's clear that Republicans see Trump as the incumbent. That is absolutely clear, and it has been so since July of this year. He's receiving donations, he's receiving headlines, praise, and accolades like an incumbent would. Trump made a brilliant and smart play in two areas, in my opinion. Number one, he continued to claim loudly, boldly, and without ceasing that he was indeed the 2020 presidential winner. He said it over and over and over and over and over and over, you get my drift, and over again at rallies and news conferences and interviews and town halls. No matter how many cases were brought against this man, no matter the public slander or the persecution, he made the claim. In fact, he said it all the louder. The more persecuted he was, the more he said it, the louder he said it. So much so that by the time of July of this year, of 2023, excuse me, Trump had the majority Republican favor. This wasn't so much the case in January when it looked as if DeSantis could pull ahead of him to be a real challenger. But you see, I got on that Trump chain in 2015 and have been a VIP passenger ever since. I got on that Trump train right away, okay? That being said, by exit polling, 70% of Iowa voters believed that he was the 2020 presidential election winner, period. So I'm in that category. I voted for Donald Trump twice. So why wouldn't I vote for him again? And so many others are like me. They share that same exact theme. The theme surrounding Trump in entry and in exit polls is that, in general, Republicans were happy with his leadership and his policies as president. He also has a large fan base with deep, deep, deep loyalty. People like him, and they trust him, and they truly believe that he cares for them. He is relatable, and he speaks to the people and to the heart. He speaks to their heart of what people actually care about and voice what they feel and fights tenaciously for them and for the country. He's a savage fighter. 
America First isn't just a slogan. It's a movement. It's a movement. Make America Great Again is a deep-seating belief of Americans, whether inner city or suburbs or rural or college educated or not, whether you punch a clock or own a business, Donald J. Trump cares about what they, what we care about. That's what Dems just can't seem to wrap their minds around. They just can't quite seem to get that through their heads. Listen, I watched the media outlets on the other side of the aisle, and they spoke in heavily degrading language of evangelicals, that the white evangelicals in particular see Trump as a savior, as a demigod, and that they've replaced truth and scripture with Trump as their religion. Of course, this is a this is not the case at all, but truth is a huge factor for the voters who support Trump, which is why the border and the economy are the number one and the number two issues for Americans across the board. The fact that Biden is running at 33% in approval ratings puts Donald Trump in a huge advantage. That advantage, of course, with his loyal base, but also in swing states like Michigan and Georgia. Now, Make no mistake, I fully understand that anything can happen between now and November, which is why I say, more than ever, we need to, as Trump said in his oh-so-humble and eloquent unifying speech the other night, now is the time to come together. We need to run smart, Republicans, patriots, Americans. We need to stay focused on the win. Those who are never Trumpers need to decide that we just simply need a Republican president to at least get our country and our military, our educational system, our economy, and our global positioning back. No one can predict with certainty how this is gonna pan out, but Joe Biden has never looked worse, and Trump has never looked better, and Ramaswamy's endorsement assists in that narrative. I mean, who knows what's going on under Biden? I mean, right now, we have Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who was diagnosed with cancer in, in December, is back now. He's returned home temporarily here on Monday. He is doing his job from home. He was released from the hospital this past Monday with what they call elective prostate cancer surgery. He kept that diagnosis from his subordinates at the Pentagon and his boss at the White House. So we have a defense secretary who's doing his job from home. Who's in control here? Who's running things? Who's in charge? And who's holding Lloyd Austin accountable? The fact that he didn't even respect his boss at the White House enough to at least let him know of his prognosis is an indication of this failed administration of the Biden um, administration. And from Daily Wire, we just had a title that came in that I wanted to read to you and let everyone know when I talk about the failed leadership of the Biden administration. Finally, the DOJ confirms that Hunter Biden laptop was real and that it was not a lie this whole entire time. Now, I'm gonna put on my readers, if you will allow me. Okay, again, this is from the Daily Wire. DLJ confirms Hunter Biden laptop was real this whole time. New filings on the ongoing case against President Joe Biden's embattled son confirmed that laptop tied to Hunter Biden was, in fact, his, and that the Justice Department 
actually knew about it. So however small his support base is, Donald Trump will take it. America first messaging is good for everyone. It is good for all. Donald Trump didn't just make history in Iowa, he crushed history. He only needed a 12.8% margin to win, beating his nearest competitor by 30 points. Again, 98 out of 99 counties losing by just one vote, one seat. Now, it seems to me that media hasn't learned their lesson. With immigration being the main issue for Americans, the media degrades Trump supporters as they did in 2015 and 2016. Remember the deplorables label by Hillary Clinton and Don Lemon on his show saying that Trump supporters can't find countries on a map? They continue to demean his supporters. On the flip side of that coin, I do warn us to be careful. The media and Democrats remember 2016 very well. They will not be caught off guard again. They have a definitive plan to simply censor Trump and keep him from speaking, thus connecting to the American people. And we saw that on news outlets at CNN and MSNBC when they spoke over him as he gave his vict victory speech this past week. When he used unifying language the other night, appealing to all the people, it scared them. And there is a concerted effort to mute and gag him, to keep him from being his very best self. And that is when he is speaking to the hearts of Americans, winning them over, because unlike the Biden administration, who tells us that the border is closed and that the economy is good, that gas and groceries and interest rates are not higher, Trump says that, yes, absolutely, things are worse. We had the best economy under my leadership. We had the lowest unemployment rates for blacks, for natives and Hispanics. People were coming into the country the right way. And we blocked those who tried to come in that hate us, hate our military. And our military was strong. We leveraged our liquid gold and our global partners paid their fair share in keeping democracy and reign across the globe. I'm living in the awe of the moment. Again, the fireworks behind me. It's how I'm feeling inside. No one has won with this kind of margin. Again, Donald Trump made history. Dole came close in 1988 when he won by 13%, but Trump won by 30. Now, in comparison to 2016, the voting numbers were lower in Iowa. This is because Trump, again, was viewed and treated as an incumbent. There were approximately 180,000 who voted in the Iowa caucuses um, in 2016. This year, 110,000 people were, had participated. That's low. That's a lot lower, presumably because everyone assumed that Trump had the inevitable victory. You know me, I must give you some stats to help solidify my narrative and to prove my point. My question for you on the other side of the aisle is, what are you so afraid of? If you truly believe that Trump is unelectable, then why gag and attempt to mute him? Wouldn't you think that allowing him to just speak would actually hurt him? Why wouldn't you allow him to just hang himself? Let the people decide. 
But therein is the issue. Far leftists know that his message is the message of the people, and tyrannists don't care or consider the way or the will of the people. So now the question remains, what's next? What's next? And we know that New Hampshire is coming up. It's a moderate state, which is why Haley fares so well there. It has a strong libertarian population, which is why Ron Paul pulls well there as well. Now that Christie is out and Ramaswamy's votes will go to Trump, the predicted outcome is that Trump will still prevail, Haley a very close second, and DeSantis will remain steady or maybe possibly go down, maybe lower just a small percentage, but still not in the ranks. Of course, if Trump wins New Hampshire, Trump is the official winner of the Republican nomination with almost definitive certainty. I mean, if that happens, if that actually happens where Trump goes in and takes New Hampshire, without a doubt, he's winning every single primary thereafter, and it's officially over. DeSantis remains in the race at this time simply because he's still fighting for second place with hopes that perhaps a miracle happens in New Hampshire and South Carolina. I'm not still seeing the numbers, even though DeSantis has the policies and the practices that most mirrors Trump's. We must all admit that Haley's bronze wins, it really did dull her momentum. I know she's looking forward to New Hampshire because, you know, wins feel good, but Iowa had an impact. Taking that bronze medal definitely dulled her momentum by far. The Wall Street Journal points out that Trump had the victory lane all to himself, with his opponents hoping to build their own coalitions. Nikki Haley showed some favor with college-educated and suburban voters in Iowa and to those less committed to conservative causes. DeSantis won those who feared aggressive liberal takeovers of schools and businesses and academia, but Trump carried those groups, winning them handily. Trump won 32% of college graduates to Haley's 30%, and he dominated among those without a college degree. In the Wall Street Journal's exit polls, amongst those with a college degree, Donald Trump won 35% of them, Haley won 31%, and DeSantis, pulling in last, won over 22%. Among those with no college degree, Trump won 63% of the vote, compared to 13% to both Haley and DeSantis combined. This has been Trump's pitch. This has been his focus and his sweet spot since 2016, a coalition of middle-class working people who were now in to vote Republican. When I say that Trump has the it factor, it's here. This is his sweet spot where he has presence, and his presence is raw, and it's unscripted. But most importantly, he has appeal. And though he is not middle class by any means, he truly resonates with blue-collar working people because he resonates with their values. And he values them, he praises them, and he appreciates them and their contribution to American life. This is why he won, and this is why he continues to win and is winning right now. So I think we're pretty safe to place our bets, folks. Stay tuned. It's politics. And like weather and emotions, it is subject to change. But 
I can at least let you know that I'm voting red. Trump red, that is. Now, relative not to the Iowa caucuses, but to Donald Trump, is Fulton County Attorney General Fannie Willis, boo, who charged Trump with one count, of viol one count violation of the Georgia RICO Act, three counts of criminal solicitation, six counts of criminal conspiracy, one count of filing false documents, and two counts of making false statements. Trump pleaded not guilty to all counts, of course, House Judiciary Committee is investigating whether Fulton County DA Willis coordinated with January 6th Committee. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan of Ohio and Representative Barry Loudermilk of Georgia are leading the probe after learning that Willis's office coordinated its investigative actions with the Partisan Select Committee. The lawmakers say Willis asked the House Select Committee on January 6th to share evidence with her office. Willis is also taking heat for her inappropriate and alleged relationship with prosecutor in the Trump case. Willis has not denied the allegations that she hired an underqualified romantic partner, which both sides have argued could indeed tarnish the case. Court documents filed earlier this month say Fannie Willis hired special prosecutor Nathan Wade, her alleged romantic partner, to prosecute Trump and benefited financially from the relationship in the form of lavish vacations the two went on using funds his firm received for working the case. Willis has not confirmed or denied the claim, but suggested she and Wade are being scrutinized because they're black. Of course heard that before. In a speech on Sunday at a historic Atlanta church, the Georgia prosecutor said she was flawed and imperfect. Fannie Willis is accused of having an improper relationship with an attorney she has called a great friend. She blamed the criticisms on race. It was the first time Willis, Fulton County's first black female district attorney, made any public comment even hinting at the allegations since they first appeared in a court filing. In the filing, lawyers for Michael Roman, one of the 19 co-defendants in the Georgia election interference case, accused Fannie Willis of engaging in a personal romantic relationship with a lead prosecutor on the case. Roman asked the judge to dismiss his indictment, saying in the filings that Willis personally benefited from the relationship. He also said the judge should disqualify Willis from further prosecutions because she allegedly defrauded the public with an intentional failure to disclose her relationship. The lawyer alleged the special prosecutor hired by Willis's office, Nathan Wade, had a lack of relevant experience but had been paid roughly $650,000 in legal fees since being appointed. And according to the court filing, Mr. Wade and Ms. Willis took lavish vacations together on cruises and to places like California and the Caribbean. Trump's attorney said in court on Friday that they are considering joining the complaint, as I believe he should. Now, the court filings against Fannie Willis was filed on January 8th, to which he remained silent until this church appearance. Speaking at Big Bethel AME Church, she spoke on the challenges and triumphs serving as the county's first female attorney. Now, she didn't call out his name, but she did make sure to defend her appointment of Nathan Wade as a special prosecutor on the election interference case. 
She's recorded saying she made three appointments, paid them all, and only one, Wade, was attacked. Always the victim. At one point, Willis called this scrutiny unfair and racially motivated. The race card is always in play, and victimhood is a permanent status. Keep that in mind with the black monolith. The claim is that she has allegedly been flying and taking vacations on his dime, which she authorized, and it's taxpayers' money. Her interest should be in pursuing justice, not a romance. And if she would actually pursue justice, then this case would be canceled altogether. But I digress. The only one bringing scrutiny and shame is Fannie Willis herself on her poor judgment, her alleged inappropriate relationship, and hiring who so many have claimed to be significantly underqualified. She has compromised herself, and most prosecutors wouldn't go near this kind of scandal. In her pre-planned, racially charged speech, she implied that Wade was hired previously by a white Republican male and was paid twice the rate she is actually paying him herself. But Fanny, did the white Republican male sleep with Wade? That's a question I have. Did he sleep with Wade? Did he go on vacations with Wade? Did he go to Napa and Jamaica, et cetera, with Wade? And why haven't you denied any of the allegations of the relationship? I mean, we've seen the same thing with Claudine Gay. She did the exact same thing. Caught doing wrong? Racism. Holding me accountable? Racism. The real danger of DEI is that we will be putting people in positions that aren't qualified for. Not saying Willis wasn't qualified, not at all, I'm not saying that. But when called out for wrongdoing, the system is in place to deem it as a racist act. And although DEI is crumbling right now, thank God, we will still be reaping the repercussions of DEI and its fallout. The savage truth for Fannie Willis is that if she decides to sleep with the white Republican male and go to Napa and Jamaica and take other trips, and take taxpayers' money at $1.2 million, since she said she actually, the white male Republican paid him double, she would still be facing the same scrutiny. It's so absurd. And if any of this is true, she has undoubtedly crossed an ethical line, and she knows it. Never a dull moment, viewers. And with that, we'll wrap it up. Please subscribe, share, like and leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And remember, be bold, be strong, be faithful, be true. Till next time, I'm Cicely Davis. The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis is a production of Front Page Magazine and the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.